well, yeah, we've been looking at uh, at Mark's story about about Jesus. Mark's uh, the beginning of, of Mark's story about Jesus, um, and for a few weeks now, and Mark writes it like like an action movie, right? And he he uh, he doesn't start with the genealogy or the major scene. He starts with, like a strange man calling out in the wilderness, and then and then Jesus shows up, the protagonist, and. Uh, there's a cameo appearance from God himself, and then immediately he goes off into the wilderness to have a showdown with Satan. Um, and that's in just like the first three paragraphs, right? Um, and then he, he goes on, and we've heard the last few weeks, he, he calls some people to follow him, starts building this kind of unlikely band of, of co-conspirators to, to follow along with him. And then he goes to speak at a local synagogue, um, only to be interrupted in the middle by a man who's screaming like he's possessed. Um, Mark says, because it was. And, um, and so Jesus has showdown with evil part two, like right there in the middle of his, of his sermon. Um, and like Chris said last week, he, he handles it with, with authority. Um, so today we're going to look at, pick up the story from there, and we're going to look at the, uh, what happened on that same day, um, starting on that same day. Um, and then on into the next morning. Uh, but before Adam comes to read the passage, um, I want to look backwards really quick at verse 15. So this is this is back uh, a, a little bit after John the Baptist, um, because I think it's going to help us frame kind of what's going on in this story. Um, so yeah, thank you. Um, so Mark 15 says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Um, now it's useful to know that when he says the kingdom of God has come near, uh, it doesn't mean like it's nearly here or it's almost here. Um, it literally is, you know, the, the kingdom of God has come within your reach. It is, it is right here. Um, and if you were hearing this at the time, you might be like, where? Because if there are Romans here, right? Are you proposing that we start a war? That we have a revolt? Um, which would not be a terribly unusual thing for people to, to, to propose. Um, they, have, they have revolts periodically every, every few years. Um, but I mean, if you've heard the story before, you know, Jesus is proposing something very, very different, right? Um, he goes on later to talk a lot about the kingdom of God. He, it's actually like one of his favorite sermon topics. He, he talks about it a lot. Um, and he uses a series of metaphors um, to try to explain it. Things like you know, the, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like, is like yeast. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like hidden treasure. Um, and, uh, uh, but it's, I mean, it's a big topic. Um, how many people here have read Dallas Willard, Divine Conspiracy? All right, not, not a lot. Um, yeah, there we go, that one. Um, in case, like, the, the, the book jacket jogged your memory. Um, uh, oh, I did see that. Um, uh, I, I highly recommend it, though. I mean, it, it came out about 15 years ago, but it's one of those books that um, a lot of people find is kind of a worldview-changing book. Um, and it's all about the kingdom of God. Um, but it's also a fairly thick book. So for our purposes today, um, we're going to turn for a de to a definition by another of the great Bible interpreters of our time, Sally Lloyd-Jones, um, from the Jesus Story of the Bible. There we go. Um, so uh, 
if you don't haven't read this book, it means you probably don't have small children in your house. Um, but this is a Bible with pictures on every page. Beat that NIV. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's get into the, to the next, next one. Her, her definition of her interpretation of the kingdom of, of God um, this is it's being spoken by Jesus. God's kingdom is wherever God is king. It's wherever God is in charge. It's where he fills up your heart with his forever happiness and you stop running away from him and you love him. So, Jesus is proposing a war, in a sense. Um, he's a conspiracy, a, a revolution. Um, but it's not against the Romans, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's not who he's after. Um, it's a war against fallenness. It's a conspiracy against like, the world as we know it and the ruler of that world, right? It's everything that's, that's broken and wrong and not the way it should be. Um, this kingdom of entropy that we live in. Um, and so at the beginning of Mark, the, the, the passage that we're looking at, um, Jesus is, is kind of a one-man army, and he's spreading this new kingdom. Um, and wherever he is, things work right. Um, he's not just saying it's here, he's saying like, you can be part of it. Um, that, that's, uh, and he'll explain it more later, but you, know, you can be part of this kingdom. You can walk through this door that I'm going to open for you through my death. And, and you can be part of this kingdom in as much as your life is a place where God is king, right? Um, so Adam, can you go to read? So what we're going to see today is some pictures from that frontier between this kingdom that Jesus is bringing with him um, and the fallen world that we live in, this, this frontier where, where reality bends and things, strange things happen, um, and he's waging this unusual war, like not with swords, not with... Uh, but right around him, things that are wrong start working right. Things get unfallen. Um, so, yeah. All right, so uh, Mark 1, 29-39. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately uh, they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her and she served them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick, uh, possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, a great while before the day, he rose and went out to a lonely place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him pursued him and they found him and said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. going to give uh, a kind of high-level overview of what's going on for things that may or may not be immediately obvious, and then we're going to dig into a couple parts, mainly, mainly towards the end. Um, the first story here is about uh, Peter's mother-in-law. So they, they just left the synagogue where Jesus has had his first big uh, 
first big miracle that, that Mark tells us about. Um, and uh, Chris said last week that you know it's really hard to say whether Jesus' actions, uh, whether his these, these miraculous things he does are there to support his words, or vice versa, if his words are there to support his actions. And this is kind of an example of that. Um, that he's not healing Peter's mother-in-law, called Simon here, um, still. He's not healing Simon's mother-in-law uh, as a sermon illustration. Um, there's, no, there's no crowds, as far as we know. Um, he's not making a show of it. This is just, um, she was sick. And sickness is is a part of the fall. It's not how it should be. And so he could do something about it. So he did. Um, um, so this is just this is just compassion. Um, this is the kingdom of God taking back you know a little bit of territory, person by person, interaction by interaction. Um, now it mentions that uh, that immediately she got up and served them. Now when I hear something like that, like my my hackles go up. So is this a, is this a gender role statement? <laughs> Um, probably not, but the, the, as far as we can tell from the, the way Mark writes it, it's, it sounds like a, he's, he's demonstrating how healed she was. Um, if, if this is anything like my mother-in-law, um, which makes me treading on the very shaky ground for a um, choose my words carefully. Um, now if, if this is anything like my mother-in-law, the fact that there were people in her house and she could not be hospitable to them was intolerable to her. Like that, that, that's, that's a, just, just cannot be. Um, and so this, the fact that she was in bed demonstrates how sick she was. The fact that she immediately got up um, and helped them demonstrate how healed she was. Um, but uh, but word does get out. I mean, this wasn't done as a sermon illustration. But uh, but you know, between this and uh, uh, what happened at the synagogue that we heard about last week, um, word word gets out, and then by nightfall, people are are crowding around at the door. Um, now it's not it's not this e- in the evening after sunset because it, it took him a while or because uh, they were trying to hide or anything it's just because that's when it was legal the Jewish reckoning of time right the, the day ends at nightfall and, um, and this would, had been the Sabbath so depending on who you asked or, or what, what rabbi was, was talking it was illegal on the Sabbath to, uh, to carry sick people to be healed unless it was life threatening or to walk more than maybe a half mile um, or, uh, or maybe even to heal at all. Um, so at sundown, the next day begins, and then it's legal. So basically, as soon as it is possibly legal, everyone crowds at the door. Um, and, uh, you know, small town, pre, pre-cell phone, pre-Facebook, but word, word clearly moves fast. Um, Capernaum is a town of about 1,500 people. Um, and we know that two, two ways. One, the, there's a, a Jewish historian that wrote about 50 years after this that describes the area, actually, in some detail. Um, and, uh, and then we've actually, uh, by we, I don't mean me, um, people have actually excavated the town of Capernaum, actually, fairly, fairly extensively. So we know that Capernaum was uh, maybe about 1,500 people, and it was part of kind of a, a kind of sprawling kind of suburban like villages kind of blending into villages kind of area um and uh it as a side note it's really wild that they've excavated the tower of capernaum and they, they think that they they know where peter's house was so you can actually go and like stand over like the doorway um they've activated the foundations of it you can you can stand over the doorway where jesus would have stood 
when all of Copernic came uh, to the house, which is a wild thought. Ask me, like, Pollock or whatever, why they think they know which one that is. But, um, so we don't know exactly how many people, you know, showed up. You know, Mark's probably using some amount of hyperbole here, but still, it was a big crowd. Um, and uh, they're gathering, and they're only starting to gather at night. Uh, they probably didn't disperse quickly. Um, so it was, it was a late night, right? Um, that raises a couple of questions for, for me. Um, first is, like, why didn't Jesus just like snap his fingers and heal all of them and then go to bed? I mean, he could, right? He's God. Like, this is, this is within his, his power. Um, and we don't, we don't know the, the answer to that exactly because he doesn't, he doesn't come out and say it. So, I know it's dangerous to make too many assumptions, but just from this passage, we can, we can gather a couple of things. One is that it doesn't seem like efficiency is Jesus' top priority. At least not like efficiency like we would, we would think about it. Um, and that's going to, we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. Um, also, uh, almost every time Jesus heals someone, there's some element of relationship there. There's some element of interaction, um, which I think is, is useful to know. Um, but as it was, it was a late night. Um, he didn't snap his fingers and heal everyone. Um, but it, it was exciting for Jesus and his followers, right? Like, like things are really picking up. Like he's a celebrity now. Um, that if he wanted to get a message out, like it's it's working. Like he's got he has an audience that is that is crowding to him. Um, and imagine you're one of his his followers that they've just started following him that he's just called, and now this guy's like touching people and healing them. He's the real deal. Like this is intense. So, so this is exciting. It's it's a late night. There's adrenaline. Eventually, everyone goes to bed. And then the next verse. Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Um. Now, I actually laugh when I when I see this verse because I, I have a history with this verse. Um. In college, I was part of a, a Christian group that that, that uh, emphasized um, quiet times, which is like personal devotional time with God, right? Uh, time praying with God, which is a good thing, um, and we'll we'll talk more about that. But uh, I, I heard this verse quoted a number of times for why we should have our quiet time, right? We should have our devotional time in the morning. First thing in the morning, because Jesus did. Um, I'm not a morning person. It's hard for me to express how much of an understatement that is. Um, my wife is laughing, um, but um, I, like I, I was the kind of person in college. I, I didn't just avoid 8 a.m. classes. I like regularly slept through 10 a.m. classes. I. I even know to say things like, um, coffee is God's apology for making mornings, <laughs> which has some theological issues, don't go like, you know, quoting that, but it tells you how I feel, right, about, about morning. Um, so one semester, 
I actually printed out this verse and I put it on my wall because uh, I was going to try to, you know, try to spur myself on to, to get up early and have, and have my, 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 my quiet time first thing in the morning. Um, it did not work. Uh, it, like a month into the semester, it became a running joke. Um, the only time I saw it early in the morning was if I stayed up from the night before. Um, it did not. It did not work. But it turns out that was actually a bad exposition of the passage. That was actually a bad application of the passage. Because it's not saying that Jesus routinely got up early in the morning to spend time with God. We, act, we don't know what he did normally. Um, it, it, Mark doesn't say. But he's, uh, he's calling it out this particular time. Um, or as, as, as Meg said, it's not like he, uh, he regularly got up before dawn with his... Uh, Latte and his monogrammed Bible and Instagram his quiet times. Um, but uh, I like how that's what I had to say. Um, uh, it's, uh, it, it actually looks like the way that Mark says it that um, in this particular case, because he knew that as soon as it was light out, people were going to be crowding to the house again. He, for Jesus, it was so important to go and spend time with God, to have time in a solitary place alone with God, that he was willing to do whatever it took, even if it meant getting up really, really early after a really, really late night to go. Um, and that, and that is like you know the, the, the application out of out of that, um, and that shows us something important about what the kingdom of God is, is like. The, the more the kingdom of God is, is real to us, more, the more this becomes real, the more that, that time with God, I mean, especially after a particularly, in a particularly tense time, but, but generally, isn't just something that we, we do, it's something that we, we want, something that we, we need or are willing to get by any means necessary. Um, even more important than sleep, which is often hard for me to Fathom. Um, a huge hypocrisy alert for me here, right? Like, I, I uh, there are a lot of you out there who could preach this to me and probably should. Um, I can actually demonstrate how much this is, uh, this is not me. Um, so earlier this week, uh, James, my little, my little boy, 18-month-old boy, um, woke up at, at night uh, crying, and it turned out he had a fever. He had a really high fever, a 104, which is kind of a big number. And um, I had not been praying for a sermon illustration. Um, I had been preparing this, this, this sermon, but um, I'd like to claim that because I had been, you know, walking through this, this passage, I, I strolled into the room and I put my hand on him and, and healed him, and then he, you know, popped right up and did what toddlers do, like walking around and pointing at things and talking about pandas. Um, I did not do that. Uh, I mean, actually did all the normal things. We like, gave him ibuprofen and uh, you know, gave him some milk and comforted him. And I called the doctor's office and went through the nurse triage line and waited on hold and got called back and all of the things that, that happen and these kinds of things. Eventually talked to a friendly nurse who said, he's fine, go to bed. Um, <laughs> which is also what always happens to me. But, um, but he was, I mean, he was, he was fine. Um, but I, I have to admit, not only did I not pray and heal him, 
in that moment of, of kind of panic of, of like, you know, what should we do? I did not actually pray. I should have. I, I, I certainly prayed after the time was over, like after we got in the form of the nurse. Um, certainly did. But in that moment, God was not real enough to me. Um, something in me didn't believe enough that the kingdom of God was in my reach for me to pause or use the downtime of waiting for the nurse or whatever to, to involve God in that situation. I just didn't, just didn't think about it. Um, and for goodness sakes, I'm preaching a sermon about a lady with a high fever. Like, this is, this is not good. Um, I, I've got every advantage working for me here. Um, but I mean, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, beating myself over that, not, not like, you know, public flagellation for the sake of it. Um, but but I, I'm, it's something to take seriously. I'm, I'm taking that, that seriously. The, the fact that I didn't, I didn't pause and involve God isn't, isn't that I did something wrong and I should do something differently next time. Um, it just says something about what I really believe versus what I say I believe. Right? Um, and it's what I really believe that matters. So it's, it's just an indication that I need to, I need to think about my thinking. In the, in the words that Jesus used, um, repent or turn or change my mind and, um, and reach out because the kingdom of God is at hand if I will turn and believe the good news and follow Jesus. Um, so I'll walk you through uh, in, a, in a minute what, what I'm working on, like what I'm, I'm doing for that. And you know, if you have other suggestions for me, let me know. Um, but I think there's a couple different applications we can walk away from this passage with. Um, first, I mean, it says the kingdom of God is, is in our reach. We can enter. And Jesus made it clear how. He says, uh, repent, change your mind, think about your thinking, turn. These are all like, ways that that word can be translated. Um, believe in him and then, and then follow him. Um, become a disciple. Make your mind that of Christ Jesus, as, as Paul said. Uh, later. Um, second, it's, it's, it's good to know that um, he didn't fix all the problems in, in, even in the town or certainly not in the world. right? But he fixed those he came in contact with. Um, so when we hear, see here Jesus facing, you know, seeing a need, facing it head on, um, and then doing something about it. Uh, he he was spreading the kingdom, and when that brought across problems, and always will, um, or needs, he he didn't ignore them. He didn't he didn't run away from them. He faced them. He did what he could do to fix them. Now you're not Jesus, right? And and I'm certainly not. Um, but the more the kingdom of God is is real to us, the more that reality bends a little bit where you walk. Um, you may not heal people, although I. Can't say for sure that you won't. Um, but you do know someone who does, right? You can you can bring people to Jesus, like the mother-in-law, like the people of Capernaum brought their, their sick friends and relatives. Um, with wonder and faith and a little bit of questioning and a lot of, I don't really understand this, but, um, but still. But I don't want you to leave here like resolving to do more or do better or be more caring or be, uh, you know, do, do, more things. Because um, I don't think it would make you more like Christ. I don't, I don't think it would work any more than putting up the verse on my wall made me anything. Um, 
I don't think it's honest to the text either. I don't think that's what the story actually says. Um, trying harder doesn't work. You can't like become a disciple of Christ by trying harder to act correctly any more than you could like become a disciple of Christ by learning how to heal people. Um, Christ didn't call Simon, Andrew, and John and people earlier uh, and give them a list of things to do and then send them out saying, do things like this. Um, he said, follow me. Right? Be around me. Learn from me. Be like me. Um, and as you do that, you become more and more the kind of person who does these things naturally. So I am kind of actually asking you to do something. Um, I like uh, But the one thing that that Jesus does here, um, where he he makes time where there is no time to go and pray, um, because I think that's that's the one prerequisite. That's the one thing that can actually work, right? The, the spending time with God, opening up that space for God is the prerequisite to becoming like God. And, and, and becoming like God, or becoming like Christ is the, is the goal here in this, in this kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus didn't want, um, he doesn't want subjects, uh, right? He, he actually says, um, now you, you, you become, you've become inheritors. You've become co-heirs with Christ. Um, you are, in fact, to become kings and queens so that he is a king of kings. Um, becoming like Christ is, is actually the, the goal in this kingdom. Um, so I, I don't know what your prayer life is like, right? Maybe, maybe you're faithful and, and regular in prayer and you feel like you're getting you know, progressively closer to God, you know, hills and valleys, but kind of progressively closer. Um, or maybe you're more like me, and you, you struggle with the kind of basics of finding time and, and things like that. Um, I, I challenge you to think back over the week. Think back to a time that was intense, maybe stressful, maybe exciting, something. What would it have looked like if your first thought was, I need to find a time, find a way to pray here, by by whatever means necessary. Even if it means like losing some sleep and getting up a little early tomorrow. Think about what would have kept you from saying that. Whatever it is, maybe you don't feel like, maybe you, you don't really believe deep down that <coughs> that prayer is actually that important, or that God is is actually that concerned, or or that He would actually do something here. And then bring that to God. That's, that's what I'm doing out, out, out of this. I, I want to pray, or I, I, I am now praying, God, make me so convinced of your love and your goodness and your power that I, I come to you first. That be so real to me that I, I want to reach out to you constantly. Um, make your kingdom just as present to me as the one that's under my feet. Actually, with that, let me know. Make my close this in prayer. God, you you made all things. You you're the rightful ruler of all things. God, please please come and, and live in us. Um, be be God to us. Be ruler to us. Make your kingdom come and your will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. God. Um, please be 
so, so real to us that it is entirely natural to just reach out to you um, whenever there's need, whenever there's, there's excitement, whenever there's stress, um, whenever there's questions. God, that that, that, that is like breathing. Um, God, please, please help us become like, become like Christ. And um, God, to you who's able to do infinitely more than all we ask or think, Glory to you in this church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And amen.